title of our series is taken from a book by Steve Farrar, How to Ruin Your Life by 40. If you want to follow along with the book, you can. It's, here's the book. It's not very expensive. You can pick it up. We're going to be summarizing some of the more salient points, so you don't need to follow along. The point I'm going to try to do and drive towards is pretty simple. And I said tonight we're kind of rough. I don't have my magic pointer thing that makes the slides go, so Anthony's going to take care of it for us. So we're like, we'll make like a noise, like boop, like it'll go, like go forward. Like, how about we just do it the old way? Like, how about we go to the next slide? Here's where we are in this roadmap. And let me tell you, for those of you who are just joining us, where we've been, because we are a group that always cycles back to things we've already done. We just finished a series that was very theological on what is God's will for your life. We spent close to nine weeks analyzing God's sovereignty and free will. And is there an individual will? And how do I figure it out if it's there? And if it's not there, what do I do? And we left off a couple weeks ago with the closing of that series, really wrestling with how do I do God's will when I find out what it is. And now we're about to do something totally different. Moving away from theological discussions, we're going to get very practical for the next couple of weeks. So we're not going to be spending so much time in the Word. We're going to actually be trying to understand something from a life perspective. Here's where we are. Tonight, I'm just going to give you an intro. Why does this series even matter? Why should we spend time on this book? I always like to start off every series by justifying the time that we're going to spend and explain why we should spend any of God's valuable time that he's given us to invest on this topic. Then we're going to hit these topics. The choices you make about education, learning, career, money, marriage, your future spouse, ministry, and your life's work. We're going to like actually just spend time analyzing the choices you can make. Why? Take a look at just some background of why I think this series is important. Of those people that are in their teen years who experience Christ in some way, from the ages of 13 to 18. And most of this was divine to somebody who like attended a church or went to a youth group or something. By the time that same group was surveyed around 29, only 25% of those people had made it. In other words, one in four of the people who had some sort of commitment, some sort of interest, some sort of desire to follow Christ as they approached 20. If you just fast forward to 29, one in four of them are still there. Three out of four of them, gone. Why is that? We need to understand what happens. Some of us are already into our mid-20s. Some of us are at the beginning of our 20s. But either way, it seems like something like you go into this tunnel called your 20s, and you figure it out, like by the time you come out, some people aren't coming out of the tunnel. Like, what's happening in there? Why aren't people coming out? <laughs> they just turn around, go the other way. They just uh, crash. Is it dark? Let's go to the second point of the people that start off their 20s with the intent of making a difference for the kingdom of God, only 10% of them usually make it to 40. Now, if I asked you in this room, there's quite a few people in this room, but if I asked you, how many people in this room want to make an impact for God? Not just kind of want to just go, eh, I kind of believe it, maybe I don't. But if I said, do you want to make a meaningful impact for the kingdom, for this world, for God's kingdom, for the coming kingdom? I think I would just guess, even without making you raise your hands, that a majority of people would say, yes, I want to make a difference of some kind. It's not enough for me just to kind of exist. Even if I know Christ and I have some sort of idea that, you know, the end is going to be good with him and me, you still want to make some sort of difference in the meantime. Okay, then pay attention. Because statistics show that of those people who enter their 20s with a desire to make a difference, 
And that's a lot of people that maybe one in 10 actually end up at 40 still trucking along. Again, what happens? How come all those people went in the tunnel and didn't come out? Where'd they go? They just disappear? Next point. The years that a person is most likely to walk away from God or disconnect with the church is in their 20s. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, maybe. Maybe when you were younger, if you were exposed to church through your parents or your family, it was just part of what you did. You just went. Maybe your friends brought you into some sort of youth group. Maybe you didn't go at all. Maybe this is your first experience. You're coming into it now. But statistics show that people kind of start early, and then if they're going to check out, they check out in their 20s. And then they may not come back. So it's an important point. And the last point here is, I want to make this clear. You're going to hear it over and over. The things we do in our 20s affect the rest of our life. Why? Well, most people look at your lifetime and say, you know, up until the time you're about 18, 19, 20, most of the decisions in your life have been made for you. Decisions about where you're going to live, where you're going to go to school, those are kind of decisions that family dynamics play a big role in. Not everybody, but that's kind of the general way it works. But then around the age where you finally start finding a little bit of your independence and freedom, you start making decisions. The decisions you make in your 20s will affect you for a long time. I know that because I went through that, and I'm going to be talking about some of that with you. I'm hoping to share some of my own personal experience and the experience of others. I hope you don't hear it as me just trying to glorify my own experience, but really to give you something as somebody who's walked through that tunnel and at times wondered if I was going to get out of it. But the things you do to your 20s, by the way, not just bad things, but good things. All the things you do in your 20s, you'll be reaping in your 30s, 40s, and beyond. And then a funny thing happens to you like it's starting to happen to me. You get closer to 40. can't believe that. Is that possible? You get closer to 40, and you realize, as I'm finally unwinding everything I did during my 20s, that you're almost more than halfway across the bridge. That's kind of a scary thought. This is the time. Most of you are in this age group. So this is why we're doing this series, to try to give you a chance to look at it. Let's go to the next slide and keep going. Here's a quiz, pop quiz for you. Three names on the board. In 1945, at the age of 25, which of the following evangelists was considered the most prominent preacher in America? Your choices are A, B, and C. Braun Clifford, Chuck Templeton, or Billy Graham? Who is it? Peas and carrots. Who is it? All right, let's take a vote, because this is interactive, right? Let's take a vote. How many people vote it was Braun Clifford? We got two people for Braun Clifford. How about Chuck Templeton? All right, a few more than that, okay. How many people think it was Billy Graham? Yeah. Billy Graham? <laughs> Who's not voting? Come on. All right. <laughs> All right, the answer is A. It was Braun Clifford. Actually, it's a little bit of a trick question. Here's why. All three of these people in 1945 were the top three evangelists that Christianity had to offer. In 1945, all of these people were in their mid-20s. Braun Clifford, Chuck Templeton, and Billy Graham. So, somebody tell me who Braun Clifford was. No? Anybody heard of him? Yeah, Randy, what'd you say? Somebody who didn't make it through the tunnel. What about Chuck Templeton? Who's he? Good guy? Yeah, had some kids. Yeah. 
Yeah, let me tell you who they were. Because I think that this is kind of an expression of this whole idea of getting through the tunnel. Bron Clifford was the most famous guy at the time out of the three of them. The point that's kind of made here is why have you only heard of Billy Graham? How many people heard of Billy Graham? All right. Why have we heard of Billy Graham and not the other two people? That's a point that Steve makes in the book. Chuck Templeton, five years after this, in 1950, walked away from the Lord. After being somebody who called thousands and thousands of people to his rallies, he walked away from the Lord. He started attending a seminary that started teaching him some things that he, did, he struggled with. He didn't like the way it was coming out. He started having some faith issues. He started struggling with his own way of looking at the faith. And he started doubting whether Jesus was really the only way. He started doubting whether the Bible was God's word. He started doubting whether Christ could be trusted. So five years after being hailed as one of the top three evangelists in the country who was making an impact for Christ, he just walked away. Just, yeah, just ditched the whole thing. Ditched Christianity, just walked away. What about Bron Clifford? Why have you not heard of him? Nine years after he was preaching up a storm, he was dead. How did he die? They found him in a hotel room, basically having drunk himself to death with cirrhosis of the liver from alcoholism. How did he get to that place? Well, he had his own crisis of faith. He had a family. He had two children that were born with Down syndrome. He couldn't deal with the situation of having two children that were special needs children, so he walked away from his children and his wife. And having walked away from his children and his wife, he felt like he could no longer preach. He didn't know what else to do, so he started selling used Chevrolets. And after a while, his drinking got so bad that he couldn't even really hold down a job, and they finally found him in a motel room dead in 1954. But here's the point about that. I think that one of the things we have to understand is that all three people started off very well. All three people, if you met them in 1945 while they were in their mid-20s, you would walk away after hearing them talk that they were going to set the world on fire for the kingdom. If you fast forward today, one of them made it through. And if you look at the life of Billy Graham, by the way, it's pretty amazing that he made it through and all the things that he's done. Lots of people have tried to find some fault and to bring down this person. And somehow he's still preaching even now. He's still writing. He's still teaching as much as he can in his old age. How do you become somebody like that? Well, the easy answer is let's not become like the people who checked out early. That's the point of the series, to bring home in a very strong way how easy it is right now. I'll ask the question again. How many people want to make an impact for Christ? Most of you will probably be like, yeah, count me in. Okay. If you're 25 or younger, are you going to be there in nine years, 10 years, 15 years? 1945 to 2007, and Billy Graham is still around, still hanging in, still not giving up. How do we become like that? That's what the series is about. Let's go to the next slide. That's the answer, by the way, Braun. Let's go one more. <laughs> All right, let's stop here for a second. There's another story in this book that I kind of like because it really emphasizes, I think, how we work together in keeping each other accountable. The author talks about one of his friends. What he did was he was 21 years old. He was basically ready for the adventure of his life. He was about to marry the woman he loved the most at 21. He's a Christian. He's allowed. He's supposed to marry young, you know. 21. 
about to get married to the love of his life, going into full-time ministry, and his father-in-law takes him aside on the porch outside and says, make sure that you stay dedicated to your faith and your commitment to Christ and your relationship to Christ. Nurture that commitment. John looked at him and said, well, sure, of course I'm going to do that. Because when you're 21, that's what you think. You go, well, well who wouldn't do that? But his father-in-law said, listen, here's the deal. I know many of my friends who started well, but did not get anywhere close to finishing well. They never came out of the tunnel. Make sure you keep that relationship nurtured. It kind of bothered him. He thought, well, surely that's not going to happen to my friends. My friends are all Christians. They're all sold out. They're all dedicated. So here's what he did. He went to the back of his Bible, and he wrote down the names of all of his friends who he felt were going to make an impact in this world. He wrote down 24 names, which are right here. Uh, these aren't the actual names. I just took 24 names, put them up there. 24 names. And then over the years, every time he heard that somebody of those 24 people had either walked away from the faith, walked away from the ministry, just not make an impact anymore, just kind of dropped out, he would just turn to the back of his Bible and cross the name out. So when he was telling this story, he was basically around 50. So 30 years had passed. Hit the next button, will you? And this is the number of people that were left out of all of his friends. Three people as he was telling the story. So what's the point? If you haven't gotten it already, I'm trying to drive home in a difficult way a little bit how important it is that we pay attention to what we're about to talk about. Because all of us have the best of intentions to start and to start well. And what I want to try to convey is how do we hang on to the ability to finish well? How do we not lose out on the opportunity? Go to the next slide if you could. The three points on the slide are kind of important, so I want to go through them one by one. The first point, this is not a discussion about salvation. I want to be very clear about that. I don't want to try to get into the idea that we're going to be working on the treadmill of Christianity trying to earn our salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, I'm going to make an assumption during this series, and if that assumption is not true for you, then tell me. But I'm going to make an assumption that the people in this room know who Christ is and have found salvation through Jesus. I'm making that assumption. It is a little bit of a generalization, I know. There may be somebody in here who's still experiencing or trying to figure out the claims of Christianity, and you're welcome here, and I want to talk to you about it. But I'm going to make the assumption just for this series that we've found that. I'm also going to make the assumption that we want to make an impact for Christ in this world. That's the assumptions. But they're not dependent. I'm not saying that if you don't make an impact, you lose your salvation. I'll be very clear about that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying... I assume that you've already found it and that you want to make an impact in this life. And the question is, how do I stay on the path to make the impact? Okay, next point. Our entire last series led us to a big conclusion. Most of us are searching the skies looking for God's will for our individual lives, and most of us came to the conclusion through a lot of debate and a lot of discussion in this group, both in the group and afterwards, that God's moral will is clear. It's in the Bible. He tells us what he wants us to do. And he gives us a lot of freedom and responsibility in how to do it. So I'm assuming that that's true for this series as well. God has given us freedom to choose what we're going to do with our time, what we're going to do with our life, and how we're going to steward the talents that he's given us. 
but those choices have responsibility attached to them. And they're going to have consequences, which is the third point on here. Almost every choice we make has a consequence. And for almost every action, there's a reaction. Those are kind of the rules we're going to play by. When we talk about education and learning, when we talk about marriage and a future spouse, when we talk about what you're going to do in ministry or your life's work, when we talk about just basically the decisions you make in your 20s, we got to keep this last rule in the front of our mind. Every single decision is going to have a consequence, good or bad. All right, and I put the word almost up there because, of course, there's silly decisions. And, of course, there's decisions that maybe really don't have a consequence because you can take them back. So I don't want to be like so fatalistic like everything. All right, but what we, I would rather you err on that side than forget about it completely and go the other way and think that, you know what, I'm young. Whatever I do now doesn't really matter. I have time to correct my path. I have time to correct my ways. You know what? The theme of this book, the theme of this series, and what I'm going to try to communicate to you is that that's not the case. So this is not a salvation issue. It's really affecting will you make an impact. You do have freedom to make choices, but the last point is with that freedom comes responsibility and consequence, and that's what we're going to be exploring together. I was thinking about a way, you know, when I was thinking about this, first of all, some of you don't know me that well, so let me tell you, I'm 38. I can't believe it. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm 38 because you guys might look at me and go, you look 50, but I mean, that's not what I mean. I just, I mean that I, it happens so fast, you know, like I blink twice and I, and I, and I just can't believe it that you can get so old so quickly. So I was reflecting on this in my own life. Like, what am I going to talk to you about if I don't even know, did I ruin my life in some ways? You know, am I standing here like a ruined life trying to tell you, like, don't go that way. You know, like, you'll ruin your life. So I started digging around, and I, I, I was looking for a picture of me when I was 20, you know? But, but I'm a little bit hesitant to show it. <laughs> Is this something I really should do? I want to be vulnerable, you know, and open. Should I do it? All right, good. This is what I was like at 20. This is me at 20. <laughs> By the way, that, that hot babe next to me is my mom, all right? <laughs> That's my mom, and, and I think we're... That was me at 20. So you can tell I ruined my life in a lot of ways since then. Including uh, forgetting how to shave and all sorts of stuff. All right. So there I was at 20, which would have been like, you know, wow, that's a long time ago. How did I do? Just to kind of give you, since this is kind of intro and just opening up the series tonight, just through intro. It was about five or six days before my 20th birthday when I screwed up my life for most of my 20s. When I was 18, I went into an internship at a large church and I was on my way into ministry. It's what I thought my life was going to be about throughout most of my 20s and 30s. I interned at this church. I worked there part-time 
my, my goal was to finish undergrad and go to seminary. And I had it all laid out because that's what all my friends had done. I was going to follow them through. I even know exactly which seminary. I had all the ideas down. My friends were giving me some of their books like I was on my way. This is my goal. About a week before my 20th birthday, I traded it all in. I'd spent two years solidly pursuing the Lord, solidly chasing after what was right in his sight. But I started to break down. I was having problems with my church in terms of political issues that really were dumb. But I was young, brash, and immature. And I started making decisions that would affect my ability even to go on in the ministry. One of the decisions I made when I was just a few days before my 20th birthday was to ditch the ministry for a woman. And it was a difficult decision because I had struggled against it and I knew the Lord didn't want me to go through with this relationship. And I knew if I went into this relationship, it would probably cost me my ministry. We had a rule at my church that you couldn't date anybody from your congregation, just as a rule of purity and to be above reproach. But this person went to my church and I knew that if I did it, I would be basically turning in the keys to my ministry. I knew also that her parents probably wouldn't approve of it just because it was against the rules of our church. But you know what? Being a 20-year-old person with everything in front of me already set up, I made the wrong decision. For all of my 20s, I was trying to get back from the tailspin that I caused. The funny thing is if you look at my life in my 20s, I finished college. By the time I was 22, 23, I finished my undergrad degree. I went to law school. Law school was great. I graduated the top of my class in law school with all the honors and scholarships you could possibly collect. I went on to join a large firm downtown where I worked night and day, but I loved every minute of it. And I was climbing the corporate ladder faster than you can climb it. I became the youngest partner to ever make it into my firm's ranks by the time I hit about 30. And I also became the youngest professor to go back and teach at Pepperdine Law School by the time I was 29 or 30. I don't remember exactly when it was. But none of it had to do really with God. It wasn't like I want to tell you that when you make the wrong decision in your life or you pick the wrong path or you, you know, that's, that's not what I'm trying to get on. What I'm saying is the decisions I made affected everything that was going to happen for the next 10 years of my life. That one decision actually affected the next 10 years of my life. It was like a tailspin that took me even into like the early part of my 30s to get out of and learn how to get back on track with God when I thought he doesn't need me, doesn't want me, all those things that you start to go through to get back into a place where my relationship was being rebuilt with the Lord. Now, I'm standing here now so I could say, well, whatever happened in the tunnel, like it was a big train wreck for me, but somehow it still came out and here I come creeping out on the other end, you know, running towards 40, like, woohoo. I'm not here to tell you that my story is your story or that my story creates a theology we're going to follow around. What I'm here to tell you is that I wanted to make an impact for the kingdom and I was knocked out of the race for a good 10 to 15 years because of my decisions. Now, it's not just one decision because at any point along that path, I probably could have reversed course, done something different, but I let the momentum just carry me. And those are other decisions. Not every decision is an evil decision like ministry or dating. Like, it's not always that easy. By the way, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, just in my particular case, they seem to have that effect. 
It's not always that. It's not always like that kind of a choice because the choices I made along the way, like should I continue to work at this firm? Should I continue to pursue partnerships? Should I continue to work every day as much as I do? Should I continue to chase money? All those were little decisions that kept me off the path. Net result, it wasn't until I was probably like 34 that I got back on track in a place where I could say, all right, let's pretend the last 14 years didn't happen. 14 years. That's a long time for an impact for those of you who at the start of your 20s saying, I want to make a difference. Just think about throwing away 14 years. Yeah, I have experience from it. Yeah, I gained a lot of knowledge. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff I could throw in there that were beneficial. I lost 14 years. That's what this series is about. How do I get you, everyone in this room, myself included, to continue striving to finish well? Tonight I know is a little bit less interactive because it's just an intro and I want to deliver this kind of in a little bit stronger way. In the coming weeks, what I want to hear from you as you start to give me some feedback is about where you want to go. What are the decisions you're going to be making? What do you think about marriage? What do you think about what you should be looking for in a spouse? What do you think about your career? What about the education you've already had so far and the one that you're going to have in the future? How's that going to impact you? What are you going to do? A lot of you are still making those decisions right now, so I'm hoping that you can take some of the information I'm throwing down and give you at least a little bit of, of at least perspective on what might the outcome of that decision be like for you. And then we're going to end with, how do I just finish well? Not just at 40, but at 60 or 80 or whatever age Billy Graham keeps going at. You know, Somebody who just keeps continually going. That's kind of where we're going to head. So let's pray for that to happen, and then let's have the worship team come back up. Like I said, this is kind of an intro. In the next couple of weeks, what we're doing is we're pushing this to the next level, and then you guys are going to start giving us feedback on what you think about each of these items. Let's pray. Jesus, our sacrifice tonight is to lay down in front of you the time that we have to steward, and our desire is to make an impact for you. And I'm bold enough to declare that on behalf of the people in this room. I pray that that either be true right now or become true evermore each day. So Lord, over the next few weeks, give us wisdom and open eyes to see the things that are going to prevent us from getting there. Let us have the wisdom to avoid those things and the foresight just to see how it can happen when we don't. Lord, this is a bold thing to ask of you to ask that we would make an impact because that means that you're going to shake up our lives in ways we don't even want to know about sometimes. But I pray this on behalf of each person in this room. I pray this in your name. Amen.